0: Hello friends, welcome back to episode 9 of The Membership. This is a podcast about the works and life of Wendell Berry, the farmer, poet, novelist, essayist, activist, and thinker. This is part 2 of our discussion about Wendell Berry's collection of poetry, Openings. In this half of the episode, we're going to be talking about window poems. We hope you enjoy The main event of the end of this collection is the window poems, or just window poems, as it's titled. And this, is, this basically makes up the majority of the second half of the collection. There are a few poems at the end, uh, one of them being a discipline that Jason had brought up earlier. The Window Poems is a, a group of poems falling under that name. It is a group of, and I am flipping to the end, it is a group of 27 poems that all fall within this, uh, fall under this title. And the way it feels to me, and this is why it felt like such a main event, is this group of poems, knowing what I know about Wendell Berry and knowing what I know about his space that he's writing from and having seen look and see and knowing about his space and knowing about his, uh attitude towards wasn't it like a it was a window of 40 panes is that what it says yeah in, yep. in, in section <laughs> yeah three.
1: that he had put in the this is in the long-legged house that we that we read about in the in the essay yeah
0: absolutely and he mentions he actually says long-legged house and this which is which is a cool yeah a cool connection to make but in, in poem three of window poems he says uh, and this is actually a poem which i believe and you guys can correct me if i'm wrong i think this was in the movie this was in the documentary look and see Look and yeah. see, yeah. Where he yep. says, I think the, so. the window has forty panes, forty clarities, variously wrinkled, streaked with dried rain, smudged, dusted, and it's just like that is from his writing nook. That is what he sees, and so the way this po- this this collection feels to me, this collection within a collection feels to me, is that it's almost like a little mini memoir, right? Like he's he's taking snapshots of his life and specifically which feels super appropriate now because of our sort of social and cultural climate but also it's winter right it feels very relevant that i feel like the majority of these poems come from a perspective of of winter and a perspective of isolation from the outside world that once he's not able to walk out as freely into the outside world and see nature and be in the middle of nature uh, that this is his perspective, he sees, which feels in this collection almost like omniscient in a way. Uh, I don't, I don't know how to describe it other than that it seems like he sees it as sort of an omniscient point of view. Uh, but even that omniscient point of view still has to deal with mystery, you know, which is a mm-hmm. a, a, a baryism, I guess, as far as the like the contrasts. But
2: yeah, I would say the windows themselves almost seem to have a consciousness. Mm-hmm. And then at the throughout most of the poem, and then at the end when he steps outside, uh-huh. he describes the windows as just another created thing. Yeah. Uh, not that it's that it doesn't have consciousness, but it's a it's a fixed point in a world that is still full, as you were saying, just still full of mm-hmm. mystery, still very dynamic, still moving. Yeah, there's a direct moment where that. The window becomes, like, it's the first
0: three-fourths of it, he's looking out, out the window, out the window, out the window, and then suddenly it turns, and then suddenly the window is a a lens back into his own mind, right, where he's thinking of these stories that are happening outside in the world, uh, and the, the window is just you know, his forehead, you know, the, the window is looking back into his own, in his own mind. And so like, as he steps out, he sees that as his kind of lens with which he sees the world. But it, yeah, it is just this, this created thing. And you know, one thing uh, I want to bring up right at the beginning before we get into talking about this is, uh, and this is kind of a Wendell Berry verse continuity question. And just one interesting choice he makes <laughs> Uh, Is that at the very end of this collection, he mentions Burley Coulter, Uh right? He mentions Burley Coulter, and he says he's out in a boat, and he's out doing this thing, and he's fishing or whatever, because spring has come. But throughout the whole thing, you're thinking it's Wendell Berry, because he keeps saying Port Royal, not Port William, uh, which is just a really interesting uh, uh, timeline conundrum, or like, what do we do with that? Because Port Royal is the town where he actually lives, Burley Culture is right. a, a member of Port William, and so when I hit that Burley Culture line, it would like hit me, and I was like, oh, so this poem, this collection is supposed to have been written by Andy Catlett, his his uh, Wendelberry's fictional persona or whatever, but yet throughout the, the 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 collection, he keeps saying Port Royal, and part of me is actually can is was as I was reading it was curious if yours says port william because i'm reading from collected poems not new collected poems and so i was wondering if that was something that he went back in and, and, and altered in any way no or if i'm overthinking no, mine, things
1: mine definitely says yeah mine definitely i'm reading new collected poems and it definitely says port port royal okay so is that a am i, am I just like way overthinking this am i getting like
0: way into the weeds is this like a uh Kessel run and parsecs
2: kind of moment where I'm like <laughs> <laughs> I am <laughs> All right. All right, so let so wait, so let me let me actually throw a little bit more confusion in, in here. Yes. All right. Okay. So you're reading from collected poems, Tim? Yes, I'm reading from uh and what is this, and,
0: the, the green collected poems okay,
2: and so on on the twenty seventh poem, what does it say? Port Royal or Port William Port Royal. What does it say for you, Jason? Because you're using... Are you on New Collected Poems? I'm
1: on New Collected Poems. I'm getting to it. Oh. Now that April, with sweet rain, has come to Port Royal yes! again. Yes! Yes. <laughs> wow. So, all right, and so here in my hand, I,
2: ex- I have openings. Oh, man. The original volume. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it says Port Royal. That I. So this is before he decided to name his fictional... <sighs> Universe Port William, maybe.
2: Well, no, cause I think Nick, yeah, had Andy Catlett come out? No,
0: nothing had come out. Nathan Coulter is the first one and it had not come out yet. So Interesting. Oh, that is so exciting. I think oh I bet gosh. you're right, Jason. <laughs> wow. That is a, that is such like a, a, that's what I was suspecting. I was wondering if that would be the case because that, uh, that absolutely makes me think, uh, when I was reading that, I was like, I wonder if that's a change that would be made. Because as I'm reading through from this collection, I was thinking, what has changed? Like, when they went to the new collected, I'm sure there are a bunch of little, like, nitpicky changes. Maybe this is one of them. So, yes. Okay. Uh, so, all right. So, I will just, as we're talking about this from here on, I'm glad I brought this up at the beginning. I will assume that he's writing this as Andy Catlett, um, which
2: so is not too so different. So, uh, wait a second, guys. I think Nathan Coulter had already come out. So why haven't we talked about it yet? (laughs) Because we're doing the fiction in in chronological.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So are we in the unfortunate position of having to, like, point out that he had just made a mistake and that's why this – or his editors had made a mistake and that's why there's the –
1: I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I would necessarily read that as meaning that this is Andy Catlett. I mean, I I guess you can read it that way for sure. Um, Yeah. Otherwise, who is it? Or maybe well, there's I think an actual for... guy named Burley Coulter that the, the in Port Royal that the, <laughs> the character is named well, but after. but if yours says Port
0: William, that's definitely, I mean, yeah, that would be amazing. If, yeah. if Burley Coulter is a real well, person, something that, I am well, I making I think a it's pilgrimage a... right now, so
2: I'm yeah. leaving tomorrow. So I think that's something that's important for our readers to know, too, is that starting in the fourth poem, Wendell Berry is talked about in the third person. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. This is the wind's eye, Duh. Wendell's window, dedicated to purposes yeah. dark to him. Dark purposes dark dark to him. Mm-hmm. Sorry, let me read that over again. Wait. This is the wind's eye, Wendell's window, dedicated to purposes dark to him. So, are you reading from New Collected Poems,
0: or are you reading from? Openings? I'm reading from New Collected Poems. Okay, yeah. so he didn't change that. Okay, so whatever. Let's just move on. <laughs> Let's just say uh, it's just complicated because I don't I don't know what to make of that. But unless the bombshell of this episode is going to be that Wendell Berry is a character in the Port William uh, <laughs> Port William saga, <laughs> he's actually been there the whole time. Yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so that, that was just something that was, like, jumping around in my head that I was thinking about. But, like, I, this, this section very much feels like uh, a Wendell Berry memoir of Port Royal or of Port William, whatever, in, this, in the sense that he is taking these snapshots of things. You know, like, a, a, you read memoirs every once in a while that are from a very specific point of view or a very specific perspective. And the perspective of this memoir of poetry is from this window. What does he see? What does he think about? What does he experience? And the more I think about it and the more as I talk right now, the more I am kind of intrigued by the idea that if this is a sort of memoir, that it's very appropriate for Wendell and Burley and Port William and Port Royal to all be kind of like dredged up in the same mix, right, or mixed up into the same stew or whatever. So it it, it in some ways kind of feels like, hey maybe the window poems is a uh, a really important selection of poems because that's where sort of like everything started and everything started mixing together as far as him figuring out where are the next 50 years gonna go um,
1: right which is really well he's sitting at his desk writing mm-hmm. right so maybe he's writing about burley coulter on the water yeah in the springtime while he's sitting at the window mm-hmm. looking out at the river and that's what makes it into the poem. I don't know. Which is a
0: beautiful honesty of, of the writing process
1: that would be really intriguing to yeah. me of him just being like
0: screw you f- future podcasters who are going to be picking apart the, t- <laughs> the chronology of what I'm saying. I am writing about <laughs> this and so I'm going to mention this and don't question me on it. You know, um, uh, yeah. you know going back into the uh, episode zero when I mentioned the uh, the Mark Twainian, uh, the Twainian prologue of Jaber Crow. Just like those people who are right. reading too far into this, like back off. You know, <laughs> this, is just, sure. this is just where I am right now. It's I am Wendell and I am the writer and I'm going to talk about burly culture and deal with
2: it. You know. So. And I, I have one more wrinkle in the mix. Don't do it. Please don't do so it. <laughs> window poems. So, window poems were published in 2010 as a standalone edition oh, yep yeah. yeah. with woodcuts by Wesley Bates that edition has Port Royal hmm.
1: yeah and so two years later he decided to make it Port Royal <laughs> I wonder if
0: he's got some like annoying editor at Counterpoint Who's just like, yeah, but you know, still, I've just been thinking about <laughs> the fact that
1: you know, I'm sure, I'm sure the editor is not annoying at all, Tim. I'm sure he's i a meant uh, human being that no, is. I can't, I can't back out of this.
0: <laughs> no, I'm just, you know, I'm just saying, like, he's got somebody who's like keeps talking yeah. to me, and maybe he got to a point where you're just like, yeah, fine, whatever, <laughs> like, just, just change it, but, uh, that's an interesting point though I think this is but that that kind of speaks back to my idea and my notion that maybe this poem is far more important than we might have realized, you know or just this moment is more important than the poem but like this moment is very important in the in the story where things are kind of crystallizing and things are uh, moving in a certain direction that will uh, be v- you know very much... Focused and 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 uh, unified from here on out. Who knows? But I I think this is the, it's overwhelming the idea of going over this this collection of poems in a short amount of time. The window poems because there's so much uh, that's here, and I'm not really sure where to write uh, where, where to start. But uh, considering the uh, we uh, where we've been which is, we've talked about long-legged house, which is uh, very closely related to this collection of poems. I feel like that's a good place to start as far as geographically or like literal area, that he talks a lot about a long-legged cabin above the water and a long-legged house with a many-glassed window that's looking out on the river. And this is a connection I had not made, just that that, the the long-legged house, which is long-legged in that it has long... uh, support beams that have gone down to the ground that raise it off the ground so that it can deal with the floods that come up off of the uh, the nearby body of water i hadn't realized that that was his writing space is that what you guys understood as well that he's this long-legged house is actually his uh whatever
1: you call it like
0: writing shed or writing cabin or whatever
1: yeah, I think so. I think I remember that from uh, from the essay mm-hmm. he mentioned, yeah. uh, reading there and writing there, um, especially right after he got married and then maybe when he'd go there on weekends when he was teaching at the University of Kentucky. Yeah,
0: it just like maybe it, maybe it speaks to just my poor reading of Long-Legged House or where like a rereading would help me is that I didn't catch on to that. But just that that was the, the, the place he was speaking of, which – you know, I, I feel sort of silly at this point. At this point. No, you're good. Uh, just like, you're good. Because <laughs> I, I, when I'm in my first – the way I tend to be, and maybe it's just from, like, teacher brain, but, like, when I'm first reading something and I'm reading it for the first time, I'm looking for the, like, sort of, like, surface-level things to figure out and understand and that I could explain to somebody else and that I'm not immediately making all – maybe the connections I could make to other things that I've read in the past, but – But that's great. Yeah. So he's speaking from that setting that that long legged house, the the 40 pane windows that we see and look and see and and we've seen in long legged house. Uh, And he you you get the feeling that he could kind of go on in an infinite number of variations of this. But he keeps uh, seeing things and letting himself follow that thought as far as he can take it. And I would love to hear some of the parts that kind of stick out to you guys that uh, um, that he where those moments where he follows that thought from the window and takes it anywhere you know, it might need to go. So, like, John, is there something that's sort of jumping out to you that really drew you in from his 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 window moments?
2: You know, we've touched on this theme before, but in the 12th poem, he says very explicitly, Shit. there will be a resurrection of the wild. Mm-hmm. And um, later he says, in that, well, actually, I'll start reading from there. There will be a resurrection of the wild. Already it stands in wait at the pasture fences, it is rising up in the waste places of the cities. When the fools of the capitals have devoured each other in righteousness, and the machines have eaten the rest of us. Then there will then there will be the second coming of the trees. <laughs> they will come straggling over the fences slowly, but soon enough. The highways will sound with the feet of the wild herds returning. Beavers, beaver will ascend the streams as the trees close over them. The wolf and the panther will find their old ways through the nights. And then he goes on Ugh, from there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, we have talked about this before, but that part is just, I mean, it just can never it'll always feel relevant i have an unfortunate feeling that for americans it'll always feel relevant <laughs> that uh, that idea just the, like the uh that we are always in a position where it's going to feel like we're just a few steps away from things going fatally wrong or something and it, it, yeah. Yeah, it I, I connect that immediately into section 13 right after that just like a page later where he says according to the government everybody is just waiting to be given a chance to be like us <laughs> Mm-hmm. Could anything be said more plainly <laughs> than that? I mean, that is like American foreign policy summed up
2: in four lines of poetry. You know, um, <sighs> there's a a book that came out a few years ago that I admit that I have not read, but I've had on my shelf since it first came out. Uh, it's called The World Without Us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we've it's talked about by this things. journalist.
0: Oh, yeah. It's, I forget why it came up, but it came up at some point. Where we were talking about
2: it, but go on. Sorry. I should listen to our own podcast <laughs> so I know not to bring it up. And maybe I just have so few reference points in my life. Like, I just keep bringing up this. Or same you have
0: such important reference points that I, I, I go. got there a feeling you. that's going to happen throughout the course of this podcast, is that we're going to be constantly be like. Have these touchstones, but no. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I, think, I, I actually well, so, wrote yeah. this in the margins in this collection, so I'm with you. So keep going.
2: Yeah. So in that in the book, The World Without Us, Alan Weisman, the a journalist, imagines what would happen uh, to the the world uh, if the human suddenly disappeared, and he talks about how long it would take for the bridges to to collapse and for, to buildings for buildings to be overrun. Um, For the forest to, you know, to, 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 to creep back, to come back. Um, and, uh, yeah, anyway, mm-hmm. it's a fascinating concept. that
1: Yeah, we should read then the beginning of that, section 13. Sometimes he thinks the earth might be better without humans. <laughs> Again, that's him uh, saying things plainly. He's ashamed of that. It worries him, him being a human and needing to think well of the other's uh, in order to think well of himself. Um, yeah, just that honest place he's come to, Mm -hmm. uh, in that. And, and I'd like to tie that to, um, I think for me, the crux of this, this collection, um, are maybe in, in poems number 19 and 20. I'll read a little bit from, uh, poem 20. Um, if we who have killed our brothers and hated ourselves are made in the image of God, then surely the bloodroot, wild flocks, trillium, and mayapple are more truly made mm. in God's image. For they have desired to be no more than they are, and they have spared each other. Their future is undiminished by their past. Mm. Um, that's... Uh, that's sort of an astounding passage for me. Um, you know, he's sitting, he's, he's, you get the, you get the image of him sitting, writing, uh, maybe he's writing an essay or maybe he's writing that poem about the Vietnam war against the Vietnam war. Uh, and then he looks up and sees, you know, just the, the plants, uh, outside, outside his window and, um, he finds more hope in them than anything in in human history yeah. <laughs> uh, which is a which is a bleak bleak place to be but um, I don't know and this is this is sort of really uh, I, I don't know it, yeah I mean I think it's sort of challenging the inherited notion of Christianity that uh, that human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation and have dominion over everything which is which is in the bible kind of right Mm -hmm. Uh, or in our translations of the bible that that have come down to us uh so sort of putting pressure on that on that idea given the fact that uh it hasn't turned out so well Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) um with atrocities like world war one and world war two and vietnam and um yeah
0: i i have to keep reading Because the line right after that is one that I was just obsessed with when we read that section. Immediately after what you just read, he says, Let me, he said in his dream, become always less a soldier and more a man, for what is unopened in the ground is pledged to peace. Mm -hmm. And that was like, I need that on a coffee mug. I need that on a sticker. I need that tattooed onto my... (laughs) I need to see that as much as possible. It's kind of like jumping off of 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 all of those you know the go- god's image is uh, is most appropriately placed in those those simple things that haven't been haven't been uh, screwed up by us and that's it's that's kind of again his moment of practical advice right hmm. always put yourself in a position where you're becoming less of a soldier and more of a man so hmm. and that was really that was really touching to me um, and really even as a a fairly pacifist sort of person, um um, you realize it, i don't think of it as a teacher, I think of it as a parent, I think of it as a friend that like to just try to reverse your position as often as as you're able to, yeah. You know, as far as being a an attacker versus being somebody who's who's in it to help uh help others.
2: Yeah. But another favorite poem for me was the one right before it in yeah, nineteen. There's a – he repeats the word peace mm-hmm. again and again, and it reminds me of a kind of liturgy. Um, it also reminded – reading it out loud, it occasionally even reminded me of um, of uh, Ginsburg's Howl, um, where he's saying holy, holy, holy mm-hmm, again and again. Mm-hmm. But he, here he uses – he says the word peace repeatedly, and then he says – and we talked about this earlier, This this idea earlier – Within things, there is peace, and at the end of things, it is the mind turned away from the world that turns against it. So there's that abstraction we talked about earlier. The armed presidents stand on deadly islands in the air, overshadowing the crops.
1: Peace. Yeah. And I'll just keep reading... From there, let men mm-hmm. who cannot be brothers to themselves be brothers to the mullions and the daisies that have learned to live on the earth. Let them understand the pride of sycamores and thrushes that receive the light gladly and do not think to illuminate themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, That's just, amazing. That's... Just that sort of mystic cosmic sense of at, at, the, at the center of all things, there's, there's peace. Yeah. Right? Uh, because these uh, these flowers, these animals are in a way closer to God than than we are, because they they don't turn away from uh, their place in the world like like we do. They don't think to consider the lilies, themselves. right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. The... yeah, yeah. I I I thought of that exact passage. John, I
0: assume you're I'm you're both this. referring to the Big Lebowski. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Consider the lilies of the Goddamn field. Or, no, that's a, a yeah. brother Arthur, isn't that? Is that a? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, um, but yeah, I I actually just I, just to as cl- transparency to people who are listening, I just texted you all that quote that you just read, <laughs> a picture of that quote from my book to you all for a certain reason that I I, I was really uh, really taken by that as well. That that, that last line that. Uh, that little section of let them understand the pride of sycamores. Hmm. So, yeah. um, I so I, gosh, I I really I feel like I could talk about this all night, and I know we can't do that, and that's not an option because we're probably already going to have two episodes based on <laughs> on this collection just because there's so much to talk about. But um, I I I love the aspect of this collection that is a window. No pun intended, but like a window into his creation process and kind of like it's almost like a behind the scenes view of the creation of Wendell Berry's stories and of his poetry and just of how he thinks and how he sees the world. It's it's very humbling in the sense that he has created a absolutely, you know, just treasure trove of literature, of Essays and poetry and and novels and short stories. And the majority of these, I I think it's safe to assume, were written from this perspective, Mm -hmm. which is so antithetical to how the world seems to work, right, that you write a huge collection of works – based on a super wide amount of experiences where you're traveling around the world and you're seeing a million things and you're living this lavish life, this Instagram worthy life (laughs) that is just, uh, everybody is in envy of, uh, whereas he's saying, you know, basically I feel like Wendell Berry's Instagram feed would just be like 700 pictures of this window. (laughs) <laughs> well, no, well say, we'll say 700 pictures of this window and then 700 pictures of his family or something like that would be like yeah, this, yeah. this whole thing, which is, uh, there's a lesson to be learned there. Um, I And those of you who have not listened to the Erasable podcast, I think there are, there, <laughs> there are a few people here uh, who listen to this I know who are familiar, but I, I am the co-host of a podcast that is about... Pencils, and we talk a lot about uh, writing tools and about the things sort of behind the scenes um, that writers use, uh, almost to the point of fetish, where it means that you obsess about it so much that you never get anything done. <laughs> so I was really struck. I will bring this up, and in section nine, there is this poem that is basically about his his setup his writer's setup. It's very simple, and and I'm going to, these are separated, but I'm going to join them together. I'm going to skip a little bit in the middle. He says, the table of the contents of his mind, notes and remnants, uncompleted work, unanswered mail, unread books. And I'm going to jump a little bit ahead, and he said, some pads of paper, 11 pencils, a leaky pen, a jar of ink are his powers. He'll never fly and the two things I take away from that is, well, actually, I'll just say one thing, because they're connected, is that that's all you need, and that's just like so striking, again, kind of like what I was saying before, that he, is, he doesn't leave this place necessarily, I mean, I know he does but that is his home base, that is where he writes from the majority of the time and that's where he dreams up all of these fantastic worlds that we absolutely love and that we learn from and that all it takes is just a few pads of paper Eleven pencils, a leaky pen, a jar of ink, um, and his convictions. You know, um, and I literally read this section and then reread this section. And before we recorded tonight, I rearranged my desk. <laughs> my desk, <laughs> inspired by this this selection, which, because of my other podcast, a, a little uh, a little glimpsed into my into my affliction. Uh, I have a lot of pencils. I have a lot of notebooks. I have a lot of pens. I've had them sent to me. I've spent way too much money on them over the years. And today I went through the process of, first of all, cleaning my office. But then I filled a (laughs) normal-sized Sterilite bin with pencils. Uh and pens and notebooks and things that had just been like filling my life. It's just like the very unfortunate metaphor of filling your life and surrounding yourself with things that are unused and unfilled, (laughs) you know? Uh, And that was, I was very much inspired by that. So I I filled that bin up. I'm going to close it up. I'm going to take it into the garage and store it away. And I have literally left my desk with two pens, 12 pencils, a bottle of ink, and I'm going to show you guys here because we've got a uh, a camera, a little statue of Thomas Jefferson
1: <laughs> <laughs> that my
0: that my grandpa gave that was uh, one of my inheritances of my uh, grandfather when he passed away. Nice. Something that was on his desk, and I feel like Wendell Berry would uh, would approve uh, in in some fashion. And so that was uh, <laughs> that was an important thing for
1: me. So you're saying you think you need one more pencil than Wendell Berry had? Exactly. I think. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: that That was okay no yeah you're absolutely right uh and i will show you guys i have a collection and i was actually going to mention this but i have a a friend that i've met through this whole world his name is mike dudek he lives in arizona and he makes these amazing solid walnut pen pen stands pencil stands desk basically like desk furniture right where you put your notebooks you put your pencils you put your pens Uh, and he is really really good at what he does I'm going to put a a link in the show notes but I have a pencil stand he custom made for me that has 12 holes on the left side for 12 sharpened pencils and 12 holes on the right side and the idea that I told him is that as I doled one of them in my sort of like fantasy world where i'm like writing for long periods of time <laughs> that as i doled one i would put the doled one on the right side and i would just keep going until i had 12 dull ones on the right side and then i would sharpen them uh i've yet to have that happen to me because you know i have a life but um i had 12 holes yeah. to fill and so apparently wendell Berry only had 11 <laughs> well, nice. you know the, so yes i had needed one more but that was uh so that was, it's it's sort of a trivial kind of funny thing that I'm mentioning because of the Erasable Podcast, but also it was like actually very meaningful to me as far as a sense of minimalism and simplifying and just like focusing on the wrong things in a world in in a life where you've only got a certain amount of time and you need to be productive and you need to focus on the
2: right things. So, yeah, I love that too. I went to, I was able to go to the Berry Center in uh, October and in one corner of the of the bookstore there at the berry center they had some great notebooks and pencils <laughs> and i told them all about the erasable podcast oh no oh nice <laughs> like how jason says oh nice and i say oh no yeah
1: yeah um, yeah
0: <laughs> yeah so he so over the course of this 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 collection he's just kind of giving us Like uh, and this is a phrase I don't remember where it came up in my mind, but it just keeps coming up as we talk about his work. But an infinity, you know, within a small space where he's just giving us twenty-seven snapshots of what he can see from his window, and it's 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 a a very powerful both in like the practical sense of just like here's what I see when I don't, and this is of course a long time ago, but where I'm when I'm not exposed to these sort of endless distractions that we have today. Uh, But also he has some pretty, and we've alluded to those, the moments of peace, but, like, he's got some moments where he very much attacks the present, right, where he's talking about war. And there's, I think it's it's section 18, Uh, and I'm not going to read anything from it, but he, in section 18, he talks about, it's a very anti-war part where he talks about that my viewpoint is through this glass and that uh, while this glass seems to be solid, it is, he basically builds this extended metaphor of this glass is just a series of broken shards that happens to be holding together, uh, at least is how I read it. Um, that eventually, uh, if we don't figure things out, that those shards are inevitably going to fall apart. Uh, which is it's, it? Seems that he, which which is a whole different view of this window. It's not always this idyllic. This is just this beautiful view that I have. And this is this thing that brings me life. But that he sometimes looks out that window and he thinks, I still see the same thing outside that window. But it has the it has this amazing potential for destruction. This window this window could very quickly shatter. Right. This this view I have could very quickly be 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 uh the subject the negative subject of the effects of the world.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so it's <clears throat> Yeah, so in that sense maybe not omniscient. Mm-hmm. If 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 omniscient is, I don't know, maybe it's not an exact synonym for. You're right. Never mind. Let's cut this part out. It doesn't. What I was going to say doesn't make sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was I was <laughs> I was confusing all knowing with all powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry.
1: Well, and I, yeah, I mean. There are all of those moments and I think 13, that poem that we've talked about uh, before when he's thinking that the earth might be better off without humans. I mean, the way that that, I don't think we talked about the way that poem ends, um, where he sort of resolves that, um, uh, where he says, um, out his window this morning, he saw nine ducks in flight and a hawk dive at his mate in delight. The day stands apart from the calendar. There is a will that receives it as enough. He is given a fragment of time in this fragment of the world. He likes it pretty well.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, I actually my annotation for that was meaning of life. I wrote that after yeah. he likes it pretty well. Like just yeah, focus, yeah. Just, yeah just focus enough and, and, and ground yourself
1: enough. Yeah. Well, in the, in the present moment, in, in your place, um, yeah, in sort of a non-abstracted experience of your place. Yeah.
0: <sighs> yeah, absolutely. I, and I think this collection as a whole, and maybe this is a place where we can finish up, and I had mentioned that it, was, it had made uh, a – it seemed to be from the perspective largely of winter, that he's got this overall structure where the collection ends on the expectancy of spring, right? The the new growth of spring, which I think this poem, this collection of poems, this section of the poem collection, <laughs> I keep like spinning my tires in this, <laughs> in this uh, where I'm trying to describe that this is a collection within a collection, but just that window poems. Uh, and its and its talk of winter makes me think of why I love winter so much is that winter, uh, while it seems cold and it seems constricting and it seems uh, deadly or whatever you know in a certain way, that it doesn't do anything remotely that will prevent spring from coming right No matter how bad a winter hmm. is that spring will come. in the very end of the collection, Uh, And this is the part where he graces us with the presence of Burley Coulter going out fishing and, and lounging on his boat out in the middle of the water. He eventually says that the window is a fragment of the world, suspended in the world, the known adrift in mystery. And now the green rises. The window has an edge that is celestial, where the eyes are surpassed. That's the very end of the collection and... I love it, and it's it doesn't leave anything answered, which I think is appropriate. But the window is just a fragment of the world, suspended above. That's that kind of omniscient idea that the that the uh, that the window is giving a view of the world from above. And this is a, uh, a a very nerdy thing to say, but this collection doesn't end with a period. I feel like that's significant.
1: Huh? You know, I didn't notice that. Um,
0: where the eyes are surpassed, there is no period at the end of that, whereas... Uh,
1: oh, there is in mine.
0: There's, oh, there is?
1: Yeah. Okay, Well,
0: mine doesn't have one, so that makes more sense. Uh, Never mind. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. I
1: mean, that that might have been... I mean, surely that was... This is poetry. Surely that was an artistic decision at that at that moment it could have been
0: it could have been just a, a artistic decision of saying i don't know where things are going to go from here and maybe by the time he came around to the new collected poems he said well it's 50 years past so we know where it went might as so well I'll put sp- a period <laughs> at the end of that i think it, I, yeah. I think the vietnam war might be over but right, <laughs> I'll, right. I'll go ahead and put a period but well that uh,
2: the original collection has it really oh wow, wow.
0: okay that's fascinating because I've got the collected poems 57 to 82 the green huh. the green version and there's no period at the end so wow that point is moot but um, <laughs> but still the notion of, <laughs> of, of, of the the rising of spring you know uh, can't help but think of Ken Burns baseball the, the you know the harsh realities of winter and the the fond expectancy of spring right is what comes yeah. after that. So I adore this collection. This is a collection, uh, the first of which we've, we've read, we've read findings, we've read the broken ground. uh, And then we come to this. This is the first collection within the, uh, his new collected poems that I will uh, revisit as a complete piece. I think over time, I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely adored this. Um, I've always been, I mean, I,
1: I I recognize Wendell Berry as Wendell Berry in, in these poems. And I, I don't think I did, and at least the first one. I'm not sure about the second.
0: That's one, that's well put. I think when uh, you know the piece of wild things is such a greatest hit of Wendell Berry that people mm-hmm. tend to know about, and it was absolutely fascinating to see the context of it. And now uh, I see why that poem stuck out so much. And and I yeah I feel like this is this this collection just feels like him in you know ten different
2: ways. You know what I'd like to do, and this is not something we talked about in advance. I would like to hear from listeners about what and where their windows are, mm-hmm. and what they, you know, maybe they are actual windows, like in in my case and Tim's case, um, but maybe they're just places, as in as in Jason's example, where you. Are uh, more likely to notice where you are and to be attentive to your surroundings. Um, I'd like to find some way of maybe in the <clears throat> on the on our website, if folks could leave a comment and talk about what what their window is and what they're seeing outside mm-hmm. it, because this this collection, which I also really loved, makes me want to spend less time in front of a screen and more time in front of my windows or outside more time creating rather than consuming Mm -hmm. um, and just paying attention more. And I Uh, I feel like
0: there's a, an in between there between creating consuming and there's like that section of time where you're just being, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's good. You don't always
0: have to be creating consuming. You can also just be like letting the world sort of flow over you. And just just uh, experiencing it, uh, I'm
2: with you.
1: Yeah.
2: That and that's an ex really excellent point. So because I think about his body of work as you were saying, Tim, and I think about how much I've written, <laughs> and I'm think, well, why am I producing at such a slow pace? <laughs> well, maybe it's because I'm spending so much time in front of the computer, and that is probably true. But I think you're right that I am missing uh, maybe a, a more important point which is that just that just being I know that in meditation some some practitioners talk about how the breath has three parts there's not only the breathing in and the breathing out but that point in between Um, and uh, maybe that's the maybe that's a metaphor yeah absolutely
0: yeah um I think
2: it is. And that's, you know... Uh, it's abiding. That's what that's the word that comes to mind, is abiding. Like abiding in our places. Uh,
1: yeah, that's, that's, that's great. That's great.
0: Well, it has been fantastic talking to you two about this collection. Uh, I, we were all affected by this collection, and I think it was a, a pleasant surprise coming to this collection from the perspective of... Having read *Piece of Wild Things*, which, like I've, like like we, I and we have said, is is kind of a greatest hit of Wendell Berry's, but seeing the context t- context in which it was it was published and how the world in which he was writing of uh, the Vietnam War and the the modern issues of his age are very very relevant to the days of 2019, and that was very powerful. So I I've really enjoyed talking with you two uh, about this. And uh, I wish we could keep going, but we've got to stop at some point. So, so let's, uh, let's call it a night for now. Uh, the next episode, we are going to be talking about the short story Watch With Me, which is published in That Distant Land, the first collected short stories that came out from Wendell Berry. It is also in Watch With Me which is a collection that came out very recently, which is of Ptolemy Proudfoot stories. That is just kind of a bonus spot that you could find it, but it is still available in the collected stories. And it is also available in the library of America edition of Wendell Berry's fiction. So we're going to be talking about that story next time in episode 10. And we are so glad you've been joining us, uh, for this one. And we've, uh, we've really had a great time, uh, the show notes for tonight, uh, for today's episode can be found at membershippod.com episode 9. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Membership Pod, so please look us up. We'd really appreciate it if all of you could subscribe and review our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Overcast or Spotify or wherever you're listening to us. That really helps us become more visible. Thank you so much for listening tonight, and we will talk to you next time.
2: All of tonight's poems can be found in New Collected Poems by Wendell Berry, copyright 2012 Counterpoint Press. And we'd also like to mention and remind you that we are a member of the Rabbit Room Podcast Network, and you can find more about their podcasts at rabbitroom.com podcast.